If you would turn with me in your Bibles today to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. We will omit 
uh, chapter 18 and through verses 19, chapter 19, the first six verses. No preacher in their right mind ever feels led to preach Revelation 17, Revelation 18. People normally don't have a clue about what it is talking about. It's talking about the fall of Babylon. And Babylon in Revelation and in Scripture represents two things. A place, a city, a city called Babylon on the Euphrates River. Protestant uh, theologians have made this a description of Rome, a description of even uh, the Roman church. And that's the most probably characteristic Protestant interpretation. We understand Babylon to be a city on the Euphrates, and every time Euphrates is used in the book of Revelation, it's talking about a place in the Middle East, a real place that's in present-day Iraq. And so we believe it will literally, that history and Antichrist is going to locate right in the center of the oil-richest part of the world, right on the Euphrates, that's where it's heading. We don't have to make it any other city. We don't have to make it Rome. We don't have to make it New York. It's a city out in the wilderness, in the desert, on a river. One of the two rivers that came out of the Garden of Eden was Euphrates and Tigris. So we are literalists. We believe it will go there and that the Antichrist will make his headquarters literally in that city. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Babylon. Babylon started with Nimrod in Genesis 10. And God had told the nations to scatter, repopulate the earth after the flood. In chapter 11, the, uh, they came together in disobedience and began to build what came to be known as Babel, which meant the gate to God. And they built a 300-foot ziggurat going to the heavens. And it was a man-made religion in which we can reach heaven. We can reach the highest heights by our own efforts if we'll only come together in a one-world enterprise. And so Babylon was turned into Babel, confusion, because God came down and judged them. After their scattering... Babel, or Babylon, became the heart of sorcery, witchcraft, false religions, and is used throughout Scripture <clears throat> as the birthplace of anti-God, rebellious religion, going all the way back to Genesis 11. This revolt, we can get to heaven apart from God. We can get to heaven without any divine help. And they became the inventor of religions, and he keeps describing her as full of blasphemy, full of uh, abominations. Now, in polite company, you wouldn't even want to read this. You don't go to church to talk about prostitutes. You don't go to church to use this kind of language. But I want to show you what God said to Israel when Israel decided to go after other gods. Turn with me, Ezekiel. Go back, Ezekiel. We want to get a, 
We could look at Jeremiah. We could look at Hosea. But let's just take Ezekiel as an example. In Ezekiel, he describes how God found Israel drowning in the afterbirth of her birth in the wilderness. It's graphic. I found you in your afterbirth. I saw the placenta, and I rescued you as an infant girl, and I raised you. You became beautiful. I dressed you in finery. I gave you jewels. I gave you perfume. You became beautiful. I thought you would eventually become my wife. And he goes on, and this is a history and an allegory of God's dealings with Israel. But watch in verse 15. Are you there? 16. You folks have got to know automatically what chapter I'm thinking of. 16, Ezekiel 16. I did that same thing yesterday at the retreat, and I was mad at them because they didn't know what chapter. But notice as his child, Israel, is growing up, notice what happens in verse 15. But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. Verse 16, you played the whore. 17, you played the whore. Verse 20, your whorings went on. Verse 22, your whorings. Verse 24, you would, he said, usually a prostitute charges. You never did charge. You were free. And he goes on and said, you were a brazen prostitute. Verse 30. He's talking to Israel. Verse 32, adulterous wife. You receive strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave your gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from every side with your whorings. 38, therefore, O prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to uncover your whoring activity. Strong. You just, when you go through here, you commit adultery in verse 38. You play the whore with the nations. Uh, he goes on to say, you, you slept with Egypt. You slept with Assyria. What is he doing? He's using maybe the strongest language in human beings to describe Israel. I called you to be my wife. To be my people, I would be your God. I would be your husband. But what have you done? You decided to give all your devotion, all your favors to other gods, the gods of Egypt, the gods of Assyria. And God uses the strongest language he can. And he says, you become a whore. You give your body, your devotion to everyone but me. And it became a synonym in the Old Testament. You'll read 
commonly fornicate. And you're thinking of physical. He, it's a spiritual meaning that comes right to Revelation 17. Mystery Babylon, the mother of all prostitutes. What, you, what are you talking about? That it's the center of the world's leading brothel? No. All godless apostate religions that join up with the Antichrist. I'm going to give you a summary. The Antichrist comes on the scene. The first three and a half years of his uh, empire, it's peaceful. He makes peace with Israel. And during that time, this woman, this false religious system, is in cahoots with him. It describes her as riding on the back of the beast. Who is the beast? The beast is that one in Revelation 13 that is raises up and is energized by the dragon Satan to lead the world astray. But this woman rides on his back, rides on his power, and together they come to the midpoint of the tribulation. Three and a half years. Something happens in the middle of the week of time, of seven years. In the middle of the week, the Antichrist will declare himself to be God. 2 Thessalonians 2. And he will put a statue of himself in the temple of God in Jerusalem. And you will be commanded to bow and to worship, to receive his mark. And at that point, he will stand for no rivals, no rival powers. Ten kings give all their power to him in a moment, only for an hour. Then he even turns on them. But this woman, as we will see in this chapter and in chapter 18, the kings of the earth join Antichrist, and they will turn on this woman, devour her flesh, kill her, get rid of her, and in a day, wipe her out. Who are they wiping out? All false religions that come under the name of Babylon. False religion to God is called Babylon. It's called a whorish system. You are taking people away from the living God to another God, another form, and so it's really the picture of what we commonly would say, false Christianity, false religion. The world is religious, and the religious system will join Antichrist. Did you know that if Jesus Christ should rapture the church next Sunday, many churches would not be missing a member? Nobody there is saved. Nobody there knows Christ. It's false religion, apostate Protestantism, apostate Romanism, apostate Judaism, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, every cult. Would you know a true faith if you saw it? You know, have you ever gone to a town and you said, I'd like to find some place to go to church, and you open up the yellow pages, and you see 500 churches listed? And I'm asking, which one of these are born again? Which one of these believe the Bible? And I, 
I want to give you five tests for how to measure any religion to see if it's true to God or not. I'm not going to go through the details of chapter 17. You don't have to take my word for it unless you really study it. That it's false religions in the name of Babylon. And I believe it's a city, and that's described uh, quite graphically in chapter 18. The city which will be the headquarters of Antichrist, will be destroyed. But this whorish, false religion will be judged in the day of the Lord. And some will read Jeremiah 51, 52, the destruction under the Assyrians. Well, the destruction we're talking about is Isaiah 13 and Revelation 17, a false system that will crash and the Antichrist himself will turn on it. Let me give you five marks of false religion. Ask these questions. Is the Bible alone the authority for what is taught, believed, and practiced? Is, what is the authority of the group? Do they go by the Word of God or by the Koran? Do they go by the Book of Mormons? Do they go by... A Jehovah's Witness document. All false religions seem to come up with their own source of authority, and it's an authority outside the Bible. Are you a Bible Christian? Could you discern if somebody was lying to you or not, or had a distorted view of Christ? Turn with me, First John. Turn with me. You don't mind using your Bible, do you? You're in a Bible church. 1 John 2. This is scary. Look what he says in verse 18. Children, chapter 2, 18. It is the last hour, and as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, the Antichrist, so now many Antichrists have already come. They're with, they're with John in 90 A.D., Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. They at one time professed the faith, but they're not of us. For had they been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Notice verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Look at chapter 4. Chapter 4. Verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. They do not confess that he is who he is, that God in flesh, that he is deity. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Antichrist spirit and teachers are already in the world. That's what John's saying. Little children, you are from God. You've overcome them. Know where these spirits are speaking from. Look at 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4. 
just to give you an idea what we face even today. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage, they destroy the marriage concept and require abstinence from food. They're all wired up backwards about food. They make it religious that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe. And he goes on to say, but demons will work in the last days. That It would distort what marriage is. They will create doctrines around food. All of this distortion. Demons are loose. Antichrists are loose. And they've been working for 2,000 years. And by the time of the tribulation, their demonic work will have penetrated the whole world. And everybody will be sleeping with another god besides the true God. And what does he call us? The bride of Christ. We are the bride. There's two cities in the Bible, Jerusalem, Babylon. The Bible describes more about Babylon than any other city except Jerusalem. These are the rival cities. The, the hoary goings of Israel after apostate gods and false religions that wind up in the day of the Lord, maybe the one world church that would unite all false religions under one label and they'll all become a political partner and ally with Antichrist. And he says, they will meet their doom in the day of the Lord for they shall be destroyed. Now, here's a second thing about a false religion or a cult. Do they teach justification by faith alone? Well, first of all, do you know what that is? What bothers me is how dumb us Christians are. I was saved six years before I ever knew what justification was. Do you? If someone came to you with another gospel, could you recognize it? What, what if they had angelic uh, likeness? What if, you, what if you had a vision in the night and they stood at the head of your bed, and, and they talked to you, and they said, Moroni told me this. Would you believe it? Or some evangelist on the TV, just because he's got a TV program, can lie to you about the gospel, that you've got to do more than believe Christ. You've got to do more than believe the cross. You've got to work. You've got to send them a donation. And uh, you've got to, you know, what is their distortion? By the way, we're trying to raise $100,000. We're in a deficit. If you don't want to give it, please keep it. For sure, don't try to buy God with it. We give as a gift. We're not trying to buy our salvation. You can never make a down payment. It's free. It's a free gift. And it's not based on how strong or how much we can work. Our salvation is unmerited. It's free. It's received by faith. The moment you believe in Jesus and his death and his work, you declare right before God. That's our gospel. That's our gospel. Any other gospel is anathema. It'll send you to hell. 
Someone said, I like to hear you. You're playing. Well, good. God doesn't need to be edited. Somebody needs to tell the truth. Our gospel must not be perverted by angels or men. It's simple. Christ died for our sins, was raised again, and faith in him declares you to have the righteousness that makes you acceptable to God. That is good news. That is good. Now, if they don't say that, they don't say that, they're not, they're not truly God's church. You got to have, I don't care what the label of the church is. They've got to say that. Three, uh, is Jesus Christ devalued? Uh, Mormons will say, well, he's a half-brother of Jesus. So Satan and Jesus are on the same plane. Or if you get some of this uh, name it, claim it gospel, we become gods, as though Jesus is not uniquely God. Any theology that devalues the Son from being deity, it's not good enough that he was a prophet. Don't buy that. The Muslim world will say he was a good prophet. A lot of folks will say he was a good teacher. Listen to me. The famous words of C.S. Lewis. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. If he said he was God and he's not, he's a liar. He can't be a good teacher and be a liar. If he thought he was God and he said he was God, but he wasn't God, he just had too much uh, uh, Palestinian heat, he's a lunatic. We've got him over in Martinez and J. Ward. I visited people that were Napoleon, and some thought they were Christ because they had gone out of their mind. They truly were losing their mind. Or he's Lord. There's no neutral ground. He's not a good teacher that lies. He's not a good teacher who's mixed up about who he was. He said, I and the Father are one. We are one thing. Uh, I am God. I, I did create. I am the beginning. Any theology, any group, I don't care if they're Protestant, I don't care if they're Catholic, I don't care what the label is, it doesn't matter. A lot of Protestantism will be right in the tribulation because it's bankrupt, sold out Christ, sold out his word, given up truth. Believe me, you're headed to ride the back of the Antichrist and he's going to turn and kill you when he wants to be preeminent. I'm not in that church. I never was and never planned to be. I'm in this little remnant called the bride of Christ, truly washed in the blood, came through one door, the door of Christ Jesus. Fourthly, do they present themselves as the only group that belongs to God? Uh, other words, this group is exclusive. I just had a man give me uh, the magazine of his particular church group, and it is so uh, tricky. Let me quote to you one of their doctrinal statements. Accordingly, the true baptism is the baptism into one body. Amen. Which is this body? The one body of Christ, the church headed by him, and which he will save. Amen. 
Then they put the Church of Christ, their, their, their denomination. If one truly desires to receive true baptism or the baptism that will lead to salvation, he needs to be baptized into the true Church of Christ. This is Inglesias in Cristo. He started the Philippines. And they advertise we are the true church, the only church that you can be baptized into and go to heaven. That's cultic. That's exclusive. I, we, were, we used to be called a cult when I first started this church. One man came in during a communion service, and he went out and said they're cannibals. They say the, the, the juice is blood. And so they got out that we were cannibalists. But that was commonly said in the first century about the church. Another uh, pastor used to always blast me as a uh, cultist because we weren't in a denomination. Nothing wrong with being in a denomination. Have no beef with that. I was in one. But because we're a community church, you're a cult. No. A cult is we've got this exclusive monopoly on God. Unless you belong to Valley Bible, unless you belong to this denomination, you're not going to heaven. That is heretical. We don't have a monopoly. God's got a church all over the globe under all kinds of labels. There's actually some Baptists going to heaven. I dare you to say that in the South. They nearly, they would take the pulpit and choke me. Presbyterian. Meth, all these different, God's got a church among all these people. We don't have a monopoly over here. You know that, don't you? And don't, don't present this church like Valley's the greatest, we got a monopoly. We don't have a monopoly on anything. We just belong to Christ. And we're grateful for that. But let's not be arrogant. God's got his people all over. There's a lot of Christians I don't even agree with. Some of the stuff Gary and I were talking there's some of the people that I grew up with. We don't agree on a lot of things, but I would die to tell you they are genuine Christians. They got the real goods. But we don't agree on a lot. But neither do my wife and I. But I'm still married. Kind of get it, amen? You men, you're cowardly. You're not going to get one man. Uh, do you teach that you're the group? The church group is the people of God for the last days, and, and that's very common. Adventists came out with that. This group has come out. We are the true church. Uh, Campy on K, you know, KFAX, not our family radio. We're the true church. All the other churches are apostate. Don't go to them. Just tune in to us every evening. Great mistake. Great mistake. Um, the Reformation came up with terms like this, using Latin, sola scriptura. Scripture alone is our authority. Not popes, not preachers, not priests. Scripture alone. Are you a Bible Christian? I, I stay amazed at how ignorant most Christians are of their Bible. It, it's appalling. If I gave you a Bible quiz now, I'd cry if you'd find Genesis. You don't know any of the doctrines of the Bible. I was in Bible college when a man explained to me justification. 
he taught us this definition. Now see if this grabs you. See if this grabs you like the warriors. Justification is that judicial act of God whereby he declares a hell-deserving sinner to be righteous in the imputed righteousness of Christ. Do you know what I just said? Everybody that does, those who didn't have enough coffee, just feel like that. That doesn't mean squat to you, unless you know what it means. I'm sitting there as a young preacher boy. I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever heard. I'm justified or declared righteous before God by his declaration because he's given me credit for the righteousness of Christ that's been put to my account. So I have a righteousness before God on my worst day. Father, I'm right before you because your son's righteousness bought me a place. Even on my worst day, being cranky, irritable, uh, the way I drove on the road, I might have even cussed, and I might have even been irritable, and I might have been just sitting. But I could still know God. Is that possible? If not, none of you are saved. You ain't that holy, honey. I don't believe you. We're going to this music conference, and I'm supposed to speak on love. And I speak on the six M's, the M&M's of love. Love has good moods. Love has good motives. Uh, Love has good manners. Uh, Love... uh, But when it came to good moods, love is not touchy, is the Greek. It is not irritable. I was so irritable Friday because my wife delayed my trip. I wanted to go early. I wanted to escape the traffic on Highway 17 because I married a crawler in the morning, and I'm a leaper. Does anyone know what that means? I'm there 30 minutes ahead. You're on time if you're 30 minutes early. How many, how many witnesses do I have? Yes, yes. But I see a bunch of women. Good, I didn't know there was any of you left. But my wife, in her inconsideration, <laughs> drove to Vallejo to get an ailing daughter to go get a facet shot in her spine because she's being paralyzed with pain, had to sit at Kaiser and Richmond for two hours while the girl is shot up in the spine, get her to the car, get her home, get her in the house, get her a pillow, get her comfortable, watch her cry with pain. And I, the man of God, is going to teach her don't be irritable. I'm half mad. Where was love in that? No, I was just in sin. It was wrong. Love is patient. But I've got a right standing with God, not based upon my irritable nature. It's based on the righteousness of Christ or else I don't have a chance in a million. And you either. It's based on Christ, right? Now don't go out, be irritable, and justify it. We're wrong. 
Love can wait. Man, you guys got quiet. I touched the nerve. Man, don't talk about the great Harley in Revelation. Talk about me, Mr. Irritable. No. Do you present a righteousness that only Christ can give? Is Scripture alone? Is faith alone? Christ alone? And the word grace alone, the word you don't want to miss is alone. Rome teaches lots of grace, but it's not grace alone. Other religions will teach faith, but it won't be faith alone. Now, say it's okay to have a little bit of Christ, but not Christ alone can get you to heaven. It's Christ plus a lot of doings. It is Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, alone. And if you're here without Christ, listen to me, young man, young lady. Christ alone can save you. All you must do is trust him alone. As a boy, I kept from coming to Christ because I grew up with strict Christianity and I knew I couldn't live it, especially how could you live for God in the eighth grade? That's a time to start learning how to sin. You're just getting dangerous. Wait, give me a set of car keys I could really sin. Get away from my parents. I could do things they couldn't dream of. And then I get saved. God's fault. I didn't go looking for him. I was scared. But I thought, I can't live like these people live. I, I don't have the strength. And I finally, finally, through years of failing and trying, found out it's Christ alone that saves. And the Spirit of God alone can enable me to overcome all those youthful passions and be his. God has not left us alone. In the last days, this church, this whore, I'm sorry for the language, but it's biblical. It's what God calls them. This other lovers, I'll give my body to other people other than my husband. I'll give myself to someone other than my God. Let me ask you this. Uh, who gets your body? Who gets your money? Who gets your devotion? Is it Christ exclusively? Or do you uh, love a lot of other things right there with him? He doesn't want to be second place. You know, could you imagine me coming home and saying, Honey, I love you, but I got to have another couple of women on the side just to stay, you know. Stay up with the latest. Don't take it personal. You've got to share me. When you marry a handsome man, you must share with them. Don't, 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 don't take it personal. Don't be possessive. Don't be, come on, you've got to share. You've got to share. There's something about love that was meant to be exclusive. It was meant to be... Uh, he even said of those who become leaders in the church, they must be known as one woman kinds of men. They may not have always been, but they must come to be seen that way. They are non-flirtatious kind of man. They have eyes for only one woman, the woman they're married to. 
They don't get winking privileges at other women. They don't even have the privilege to sleep with them in their mind. It's amazing how we have to deal with the mind. A man had a stroke, was 80 years old, wound up in an iron lung, and his pastor went to see him. I just read the account, and the pastor asked him, what's your greatest problem? He said, lust. 80 years old, in an iron lung. He was still sleeping with the wrong people in his mind. You don't even get that privilege. God wants you to be single. And he said, Israel, I am the Lord your God. I am your husband. He called himself their husband. You, I want to be my wife. See, that's where Jesus is getting a bride. We've not become his wife yet, but we will at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Father, no doubt, will conduct the vows, and we will be pledged to him forever. All God wants is you, and don't treat him like he's one of many options. We used to sing a song, all he wants is all of you. Not just a part. He wants all of your heart. Listen to me, child of God. Some of you are sleeping with the world. You give a little bit of your devotion here, a little bit of your time here. You don't know what you're in. We don't know. Not just religious. You love sports like some people love a God. You love money like people love a God. Money is a God when you love it. It dictates your life. And what's this body of yours? Mr. Stingy, you got time for everything. You got time for the company. You got time for your hobbies. You got, and, and to try to get people to serve God an hour a week in a church. Oh, my. It's like pulling teeth and get them in one of our ministries. I can only go for three months because I've got important business to do. You know what? You're sleeping with somebody else. What if Christ did you that way at the cross? I can only give you part of me, and the Father will never accept a partial atonement. He wants a full atonement. Can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And so apostate religion is headed for a doomsday in Revelation 17, the commercial Babylon where the city is built in chapter 18, He's actually going to destroy the city itself, and he calls it a city about ten times. The city of Babylon, that great city, that great city. So it is a place, a piece of geography. I have no problem believing that the Antichrist could go out into the wilderness and set up in the middle of all that oil and all that wealth and in the middle of the Arab world that hates God's people, Israel, I have no doubt believing that's where, where, where else would you want your headquarters but where Eden was started. Eden is between the Euphrates and the Tigris. Babel happened right between the Euphrates and the Tigris, right at the seed, the heart of all religions that hate God, all witchcraft, sorcery, and all, when you go into idolatry, you'll sleep with a thousand different gods. And you'll throw your body away to a thousand different lovers. God has called us out, set us apart.
for himself. I think one of the most terrible things I've seen in marriage is a bride that is not available to her husband, but is available. I'm just not available to who I'm married. I'm unfaithful out there, but I'm not faithful here. And I think one of the most terrible things I see in church is people that aren't in love with Christ, but they expect him to get them to heaven, but they don't love him. They won't give their life to him. He's just not good enough for that. You've got to go elsewhere for your pleasure. And that's exactly what they did in the Roman world. You, you married one woman for legitimate children, but you always had your mistresses for fun. I need to have children so they can have my name Howard, so I married Carolyn. But then I got to have a couple of women on the side for fun and pleasure. But my children have to come from my wife. What a distortion of everything God intended in marriage. And we bring it right over to religion. God, I don't mind you if you're one of many, but I can't give you exclusive loyalty. I cannot give you exclusive devotion. And God said, all such religion will wind up in the day of the Lord, and he will treat it like the great whore she is. You have seduced the nations to betray me. You've seduced the nations to make a way to heaven other than through Jesus Christ and through God. Are you in the true bride? Are you truly a Christian and belong to him? Only the bride will be kept from the day of the Lord when he pours out his wrath on all those who reject him. I thank God I'm in the bride and I'm going to escape this period because he promised me immunity. I shall not see the day of wrath. What about you? Are you headed for that day? You can only escape it by putting your faith in Christ. He alone is your escape. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for those who may be religious but lost. I pray for loved ones that are in a thousand different isms, cults, and other isms that do not teach Christ alone, your word alone, faith alone, grace alone. I am humbled, Lord, that you have stooped to reveal yourself to any of us, for we're unworthy sinners by ourselves. We could never merit you. We can never get good enough for heaven. But Jesus was good enough to get us there. It's him we trust. If there's anyone here that is headed for this day of judgment and wrath, who have never received Christ, I ask that you in tender mercy and grace would speak to their heart and say, receive Christ. It's Christ alone who can save. Not religion, Christ. Christ. Valley Bible can't save, Christ saves. Christ alone. Save whoever the hearer is that is not prepared to die 
and neither is prepared for the day of this severe judgment on the earth. Save them. Save them today. Don't let them perish. Oh, please save them. My heart has been trembling as I've been going through Revelation to think of my loved ones that are going there, my loved ones who will see this wrath if it should occur any moment. Oh, save, save, save is my prayer. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.